This is Prairie Room Companion, episode 17 for August 11th, 2010. Reboot. Inception. Welcome to Prairie Room Companion. This is the reboot edition of Prairie Room Companion. For those of you who may have been listening for some time, uh, or were listening for some time, uh, it's been some time since I did a... Uh, an episode of Prey Rome Companion, but we are back and hopefully better than ever, and that's because I have a co-host. Uh, I, am oh, Dr- I am Dr. Chris Bergwald, and with me now, um, and perhaps, maybe not forever, but at least for a while, Father Andrew Dickinson. Father, how are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well this morning, Chris. Thank you. Uh, very good. So Father Dickinson is the chaplain at the Pius XII Newman Center, which is the Newman Center at South Dakota State University um, in Brookings, South Dakota. And Father has been there uh, for just over a year. He's just beginning his second year there. Uh, Father Dickinson was ordained uh, a diocesan priest here in the Diocese of Sioux Falls, South Dakota in 2006. Um, he studied, uh, he, seminary was in Denver, a St. John Vianney Major Seminary. I, that's, that's right, isn't it? That is correct. That is correct. The patron saint of the parish priest, St. John Vianney. Now, but if I recall, so we're done with him, though, right? Because that was, that's so last year, Father. But y- you might be done with him, uh, married man and lay theologian, but I, as a diocesan priest, am never done with St. John Vianney, and he's not done with me. I, I should hope not. So, yes, we continue, of course, to, to seek the intercession of St. John Vianney for all of our parish priests, uh, certainly including Father Dickinson. So uh, in, in today's podcast, um, what we're going to do, Father and I, are, we, we thought, while this is a reboot, we're actually going to talk about a subject that is, uh, has some degree of originality, and that is the movie Inception, uh, which opened last month in July. Um, Father has seen it twice now, I've seen it once, and it's, it's generating a lot of buzz. It's one of those movies that comes out every few years where it's a, it's a summer blockbuster, it's got the things that a blockbuster needs, lots of action and so on, but it also, at least to some degree, is an intellectual movie, um, a movie that, that leaves a lot for, for the mind to chew on, that generates all sorts of discussion at the water cooler, on the internet, um, everywhere people talk about movies, people seem to be talking about Inception. And that includes and that includes Catholics. Sorry, go ahead, Father. I think the nice thing about this movie, uh, just in that term of discussion, is that for nerds like uh, myself and yourself, uh, Dr. Bergwald, uh, we're always uh, talking about things. We're always maybe making more about things than they really are. But this movie is certainly one that anyone can talk about, think about. It is a bit of a mind bender. It is indeed. Yeah, Father and I, uh, before uh, we start the podcast, we're talking about exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is is when you have a text and and you're usually it's in the context of, of, of scripture. What does what does this passage mean? And eisegesis is when instead of taking the meaning out, you put your meaning into it. And yes, we uh, we nerdy and geeky types love to commit eisegesis, where we impose sometimes. Um, our, our readings, our preferences of things onto a text or onto a film. But um, Inception certainly has plenty of, of content for us to try to uh, receive the meaning rather than impose our own, wouldn't you? That's fair to say, isn't it, Father? That way, uh, yes. Yes, yes. So what we're going to do is just um, over the next 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, uh, talk a little bit about what we see uh, – w- w- why we enjoyed the movie, um, 
and, and what we see is some maybe theological themes. Not that Christopher Nolan, um, the writer and director of the of the film, not that he's he's some uh, amateur or professional theologian who's who's trying to uh, to communicate certain theological themes. But but Father and I have the same mind that that good art. Uh, because it portrays reality, often tells us something about reality, and in that sense um, has some theological theme or themes to it. Agreed, Father? Very much so. And I think, and art speaks to life as well, and since all, or in many ways, art is a reflection of life, unless you're Oscar Wilde, in which case life imitates art. But because art in many ways does imitate life, and life, of course, as we know, is founded by the creator. There are certain ways that the creator is reflected in all art and can certainly be found, especially in good art. Right. And, and that's a great point to, to uh, a great way to segue into into our, our discussion about the movie um, Inception as a piece of art. Father and I, after we saw, after I saw it the first time uh, and father saw it the second time, we had a conversation and we sort of brought up the distinction of art versus entertainment. And, and what we came away from that was with was every movie um, is art, but some art is bad art, or some movies are bad art because they're just entertaining at sort of a bare bones level. But uh, Father, what, what was your thought? How, how is Inception not just bad, simply entertaining art? How, why is it at the next level? Well, I, I think on a most basic description of good art is that good art is something that's going to stick with you. Good art is something that's going to abide with you in, in a good way, not like, uh, you know, the, uh, a silly song like Tom's Diner um, by Susan Hans Vega or like a Hanson song. Right. Uh, uh, Pants on the Ground, like, would that be good art or bad art then? No, that'd be bad art. Okay. <laughs> but good art sticks with you in the sense that it occupies your brain in an enjoyable way where you're working on it, where you're contemplating, whether it's... Uh, I'm looking right now in, uh, at the Newman Center at an image of Raphael's Transfiguration, which is a gorgeous piece of art uh, depicting uh, our Lord, of course, like from Matthew uh, 17, uh, depicted on uh, Mount Tabor, transfigured in glory with Moses and Elijah on each side and Peter, James, and John on the ground, kind of shocked by the view. And art like that is going gonna, is gonna to stay with you a lot more than, say, you know, a Dilbert comic. Now, you might laugh at the Dilbert comic, you might enjoy the Dilbert comic, but at the same time, you know, you're not probably not going to frame it and put it on a prominent place in your home like you would Raphael's Transfiguration. And I think also along those lines, I think even quote-unquote bad art, and, and bad art might be the wrong term, at least lower level art, like a Dilbert comic, mm -hmm. um, can convey truth, uh, but, but the, the mere conveyance of truth does not in and of itself make it good art. Right. It's a beginning, but it's not the end. Right, right. It's a beginning, but it's not the end. And so, but. so I think what I like about Inception, then, is it's something that's trying to engage the fullness of who you are as a human person. It's not just going to engage that entertainment faculty. You know, am I, am I, am I titillated? Am I entertained? Is my intention kept for 90 minutes you know, before I go back to the doldrums of the real world? You know, is this... We and Christopher Nolan wants you to take Inception with you back to the real world to think about it, uh, to reflect on it, maybe to even reflect upon your own life. And in that sense, it becomes the fullness of what art offers. 
Right, as you say, it's not something that's just quickly consumed, but it's something that is meant to, as you said, stick with you, stick with us um, at, at, when we leave the theater, um, which is very much unlike so much of what we see um, on the screen in theater these days. Uh, but we'll like come back to the previews that we saw in uh, in, in the course. So we were uh, you and I, and uh, we were sitting there watching, and you're just kind of laughing on the previews. You know, nope. Nope. Yeah, there there weren't too many. Oh, I gotta see that reactions when we saw the previews. But we'll get we'll get to that uh, momentarily. Um, any other thoughts, Father, about the the artistic merit or value of Inception? Uh, well, as we go on this idea of good, of good art, it isn't just simply in the intellectual value of Inception and the way that it makes you think. Uh, some of the questions it raises up, which we'll get into, I think, a little more in a moment. But to me, just the quality of it. Uh, the cinematography, uh, I mean, the cinematography, and, that, and that's why it's a great summer film, as some people say, because it is visually stunning. It's going to grip you and it's going to bring you in on that uh, level of titillation, of, in, of entertainment. You're going to be very satisfied in that regard. Even if you're not a deep thinker, you'd enjoy the movie. Right. There are some amazing sequences uh, of you know, how did they film that? And and. You know, you and I talked. One thing that Christopher Nolan likes to do is he likes to film on location. So he he filmed this movie in like six different countries: Canada, um, Paris, um, all all over the globe in a sense. Um, where the, so there's the level of reality. Even the things as you're watching, you, you know, they're obviously not real because you know there's cities folding over on themselves and so on. But so the way they're portrayed, the level of of, of production value is is incredible. Where it looks real very much so the, the the reality of it the clarity of it and mind you this whether these are advances in film technology as well and the different uh, digital cameras that they use these days part of me would be curious to know did he have to invent any new techniques i haven't looked too hard into and i don't know of a lot of good maybe film resources to look at whether he had in uh create any new techniques uh for uh the production of this film because it was so visually arresting. It was. Uh, the, the reading I did, he didn't, but one thing he did say is he's been working on this film, the idea of the film, for, for about 10 years or so, and he couldn't have made it 10 years ago. I'm sure that's at least in part due to the technical advances that have been made in the last decade in, in cinematography. Without a doubt. Without a, in the same way, probably, that Avatar uh, from earlier this year was that long labor uh, for James Cameron. Right. Uh, uh, I think in this way, Inception may be offering us a little more meat to chew on. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and we will get to some of those things momentarily. But uh, moving on to some other aspects of it that we liked just as a film, um, you alluded to the previews. Um, one thing that struck me, we saw previews for a Piranha movie, um, <laughs> for the new Tron movie, for the new Wall Street movie. Uh, and, and again, it's this Hollywood... Hollywood is big business, and one of the, you know, I, I understand it. One of the critiques of Hollywood is, don't they have any new ideas? But at the same time, I guess to be fair to the studios, they're investing tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars, and they want to go with something that's tried and true. They got to uh, feed their children. They do. That's right. They got to. They got to make a buck or two. I mean, can we begrudge them of that? But at the same time, for for at least 
Yeah, the movie go over of a certain type, such as you and I. It's nice now and then to see a movie that doesn't rehash themes or isn't a sequel or a prequel to something that's already been done. And right, where where you imagine maybe the pitch scene, you know, in the producer's office was just imagine the Karate Kid on water. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're just taking we're just taking old film, an old plot line, and then rehash it. We're just throwing a twist. Where this time, you know, it's a guy instead of a girl. Or this time, it's the parents that are doing it and not the kids. Exactly. And Inception clearly is not um, rehashing. Um, uh, it's not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It's a movie on its own. Now, you and I had talked about how, I mean, there's a theme. Um, and, and we don't want to get, you know, uh, we should have said this up front. We're not going to get too spoilerish on you. We'll try to warn you if we do. Uh, because we will have to talk about some of the, the elements. So we'll let you know when we get to those times so you can... Although in all fairness to uh, any listening audience, it is uh, today August 11th. And so if you haven't seen Inception by now, unless you're in a uh, terrible coma or some other medical ah. condition that prevented you from this, you know, look, I'm sorry, but you know you should go see it if you want to see it. Pause this podcast right now on your MP3 player. Go see the movie. Come back and then continue to listen. Uh, but so, so there is there there are there are themes in this movie. The, the plot device, the idea of dreams, uh, trying to distinguish reality from the dream world. They have been discussed. It's a common common motif in science fiction literature and movies. Um, Having said that, this is a very original film, at least when you can compare it to the standard, uh, what, what we, again, what we typically see these days um, on the big screen. Well, I, I even can't, I know some people have brought up, uh, we were reading some reviews, or they brought up Total Recall, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from, I think, 1990, as a reference to that sort of, you know, question reality. And of course, maybe in more recent memory, it'd be something like The Matrix. But this movie seemed different on a couple levels. One, I think just the fact that they were sharing those dreams together. They were sharing those dreams together. Like we're in the Total Recall movie, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, uh, Quaid. <laughs> Quaid was, uh, uh, he was challenged to say what, whether what he was experiencing was what his real life was or whether he'd been in a sense brainwashed uh, to be something else. You know, in The Matrix, uh, there's only really two things going on it's just everyone's in this false reality and they reveal i mean they reveal it to you pretty quickly and then it just becomes a struggle against the false reality uh it takes them the rest of the show and you know neil's self uh self-realization is the one but inception to me works on uh, a much different level actually asking the reader right not the reader pardon me but the viewer to ask the questions themselves Right, right. You and I talked about Matrix is a little more didactic in its own way, where it clearly spells out for you. You've got sort of, uh, in a sense, the narrator in the movie, Morpheus, explaining to Neo what's going on. Is where, that air you're breathing? Right, <laughs> exactly. Whereas in Inception, uh, you, you don't get nearly, it's not spelled out nearly as much, if at all, uh, in the same way that it was in Matrix. It's left up much more to the intelligence of the viewer. Which is, again, a, a mark of good art in that way. Uh, that it didn't, it didn't outsmart the viewers on one hand, uh, and the other hand, it didn't spoon-feed you everything. Right. And also, to, to an, another point that you had made in this context, um, it's fair to the viewer. It doesn't 
it doesn't try to be too clever by half, as I think the saying goes. Um, it's, it doesn't try to be smarter than it is. It's happy. It sets a high bar, um, but it's happy to stay at that level, so to speak, unlike other movies. Very good. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when we were talking, a movie that my, in my mind that came to mind where the, I think the movie failed in that regard would be uh, Ocean's 12, which, of course, was the second installment of the Ocean's 11 uh, vehicle with Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Matt Damon. And whereas in the first movie, you know, you had clues that you could have picked up on when they finally revealed how they pulled off the heist. You could say, oh, I saw all those things earlier. Whereas in that second one, uh, the movie didn't have those sorts of clues laid out in it. It's simply just, oh, we did this earlier and we never told you about it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And there's kind of no, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's cheating the viewer or it's maybe cutting the corner as a filmmaker where you don't know how to tie the plot together. And Inception did not do that. No, and so I thought Inception was very good in time. Conception had a lot of different plot lines, a lot of different movements going on in it. Uh, you had uh, the character Cobb, and you had his, uh, the, the, the very obvious struggle that most, most people talk about, him trying to get home to see his children uh, and to be free of uh, uh, the charges that are laid against him. You have uh, the whole question of whether Inception can be done. Of course, clarifying that Inception, the name of the movie, is also a, uh, a task that is done within the movie in this idea of stealing people's ideas from their dreams, uh, extraction, that extraction is an easier thing to steal someone's ideas from their dreams. But Inception, to plant an idea in your head, don't think about elephants, you know. You're going to think about elephants, but you know that I just told you not to think about elephants. You know I planted the idea. So to get someone to think that the idea is their own is a much harder task, a much more difficult task, and therein uh, comes the name of Inception. So can we do this Inception? So you have that plot line. You have the plot line of the target of the Inception, Robert Fisher, uh, in relationship to his company. You have the plot line of Saito. You have uh, the plot line of Ariadne, the bright young architectural student who gets pulled into this and her whole movement uh, into these characters. So a lot of things going on, and all of those at the end of the film are cleanly resolved in, in a way you expect. There's no uh, outside tool coming in. Uh, we forgot how to resolve this, so we'll just resolve it like this. Right. Deus, Deus ex machina, or machina, um, the, where it's a, just, well, where'd that come from? We didn't see that at all. That's completely unfair to the viewer. There's nothing. Inception did not do that. Right, right. Uh, so related to that, I think, too, that we talked about, this is a, a, a very well-written movie um, with no obvious plot holes, not just in the sense of something at the end explaining it all that we had, the viewer could never have known, but even within the film, there's nothing obvious. Of course, people, and I, I only having seen it once, maybe there are little details that, we, that, that one could nitpick, but my first viewing and thinking about the movie... Uh, and Father, you can speak more having seen it twice. There's nothing that stuck out in terms of me in terms of inconsistencies or logical dead ends or leaps. No, and it was very interesting to watch it a second time because in some ways you're able to go along on the ride a little more because it is quite the ride. I mean, there is some heart-pounding uh, action and you can, can, you can flow on that a little more freely. But I, I think the other thing in watching the second time is able to pick up some of the themes that I think Christopher Nolan wanted to portray in this movie, and I think where we get to maybe the meat of our podcast, and uh, to talk about those, I think, for a little bit, and that is 
the theme of, of catharsis as they talk about in the, in the movie or forgiveness and reconciliation, as you might talk about it in a Catholic sense, not trying to get too, uh, not to read into it too much. But also then I think also uh, a, the question of the encounter between reality and virtual reality and what is uh, a preferred way to live. Right. Uh, and, and, and so actually before we transition that, one thing I wanted to mention, um, who is this Christopher Nolan guy? For those of you who have seen the new Batman movies, uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, he's the director of those. But, but another movie, and those were uh, his brother, uh, Jonathan, um, wrote those screenplays with some others. But the last movie I think that Christopher Nolan not only directed but wrote was his film Memento which came out a number of years ago. And a lot of similar themes in that movie. If you haven't seen Memento um, and you have seen Inception, I would highly recommend. Both Father and I have seen Memento. And it's also a very enjoyable film um, in different ways. It's a different movie. But similar ideas of, of trying to piece together uh, a, a timeline, what's going on, what really happened. It's not in the dream world, but, but it's, it's where somebody's has lost their short-term memory and they're pr- trying to piece together uh, something that's happened. So Nolan seems to like... Uh, the, these movies that really get into the character's head. In fact, I, I saw one in one article I read about the movie, um, somebody had asked him, um, why are you so interested in the mind? And he said, well, I've been stuck in mind for almost 40 years, so I'm interested. <laughs> uh, which I found to be uh, a, a humorous comment, as he intended it. So having said that, that's who Christopher Nolan is. But yeah, the, the, these couple of themes that, that you just mentioned, Father, let's start the, with the first one, the whole idea of catharsis or forgiveness and reconciliation. You want to elaborate on a little bit what, what we mean by that? Well, certainly uh, in the movie, uh, one of the interesting things that you'll find is that uh, Cobb, the Leonardo DiCaprio character, his wife, his now deceased wife, haunts his subconscious in various ways. That in these dream worlds, uh, your subconscious can be active and involved, and his uh, wife, his memory of his wife, in that sense, haunts his subconscious. Uh, because of her death. And what we find is that uh, Cobb holds himself uh, responsible. Cobb holds himself responsible. But the way that they introduce this idea for Cobb, uh, just the way I said it right there, might be a little heavy-handed, a little spoon-fed. You know, oh, Cobb needs to reconcile his memory of his wife. The way they introduce this idea is uh, the mark, if you will, the target of their inception, this Robert Fisher, a, uh, you know, a uh, multi-billion dollar energy mogul uh, and the heir of a multi-billion dollar energy uh, industry. Uh, Robert Fisher, they're they're trying to plant this idea in his head and the way they figure out to plant the idea in his head is to uh, bring about some reconciliation of his own memory of his own father uh, who has just passed away and is the impetus uh, for them doing this inception is the death of his father. And so the way that they're going to get him to think this idea is his own is by bringing out a reconciliation with his father. And that's a very major point for them as they're building their plot internally in the film. You know, Cobb's kind of speaking those words. Cobb himself is the one who says that the positive uh, emotion of catharsis is much more powerful than negative emotions. And so this becomes the way that they introduce the idea for Cobb himself as the protagonist, Leonardo DiCaprio character, as the protagonist to go about his own uh, healing of his uh, memories of his deceased wife. So what happens? How does how does that 
happen in the movie. Well, this is, again, the beauty of good art is that this very important thing for Cobb, the very important, the most important character in the movie, this very important moment for him comes at the culmination of the movie, uh, of, the, of the inception plot line of planting this idea in uh, Robert Fisher's head. And so it comes to that point where uh, he's confronted with his wife in his subconscious, he's talking with her, and what he realizes, uh, what he has to come to the grips with is that um, he did not cause her death because this is what he's been essentially torching himself with in the years uh, since she has died. Give you a little background. And again, I'm talking a little bit like the movie, maybe a little stream of consciousness in my mind. And the movie does come at you in a stream of consciousness sense that things happen before you know the reason. And then as the movie was on, they explore some of those reasons. Why does Mal, why does his wife, uh, Mal, M-A-L, we usually refer to her as, whether that's Mallory or whatever her full name is, but Mal, why does she haunt his subconscious in this way? Well, she was a, a dream sharer with him. And in a dream, uh, they got lost deep down in their dream in this area called Limbo. And uh, the only way for them to leave the dream, of course, uh, would be to die. To die. And so... Uh, uh, in the course of their dreaming. And so Cobb had, she, but she's very happy with where she is in that limbo. She's in a place where she can create things. So Cobb has to pull her out of there. And so he plants in her head this idea that the world you live in is not real. The world you live in is not real. And then is able to convince her to, to pull out of it. Uh, but that, when they're back in the real world, leaves her with this haunting question in the back of her head. You know, this world I live in is not real. This world I live in is not real. And so she feels like she needs to kill herself in the real world to go to some other, to what she thinks would be the real world. And, and so Cobb, of course, as he sees this go on, and whether it's months uh, or even years, uh, that she's living with this idea in her head, uh, Cobb is certainly weighed down by the guilt of that, watching what he did go to unintended consequences. And so in that sense, he holds himself responsible for her uh, death. And in the end, he's able to um, forgive himself through the help of another character. Uh, and in that way, um, that, that cathartic moment, which allows him to leave behind, in a sense, his guilt, his regret, his remorse for the role he played um, uh, and, and to some degree to realize the fact that, I mean, in the end, he had some role, but he was not, uh, he did not kill her. Um, she did take her own life. And he was able to come to that uh, realization. And that transitions to, uh, and again, we're giving away so at least what we see is, is the, the ending of the movie um, and its meaning. Uh, he's able, because of that, in, in some sense, to enter into the real world and be united once again with his children in, at home. That's correct. That's correct. And that's and, and there he's able to find what he's been looking for and what uh, he's been kind of this uh, intellectual or dreamscape soldier of fortune uh, has all been in the hope of returning home in that way. Uh, kind of maybe a bizarre twist on the A-team. Uh, but I don't, that's n not quite what uh, uh, Christopher Nolan was looking for. Probably not. But he did say, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, 
a lot of different movies that had some impact. So, hey, you know, maybe, you know, he had a plan that he loves it when a plan comes together, maybe. I don't know. Apparently, apparently, even though he does pity the fool. Right. <laughs> and that's the end of our A-Team references this podcast. Thank you. Uh, so anything else about that theme, Father? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. So the other theme, that, as, as you referenced, was uh, with regard to the distinction between virtual reality and reality. And we talked earlier about movies like uh, Total Recall um, uh, and referenced that, that the, this is a common motif in other sci-fi literature, uh, movies, and so on. But Inception does seem to, to deal with this question of virtual reality, in this case in, in, in the dream world, versus reality reality, what's really out there, uh, in, in a, a more authentic way, in a truer way, I think. Very much so. I, th I think, you know, what, in the question of, I think what comes to the ultimate question of our day as in the information age is what, what is to be preferred? Reality or the virtual reality that we can create, that technological man-made world that I can create with my own hands, maybe even with my own fingers. And so, right, right. And so, so what we see, and, and this is one thing that struck me as a difference between Inception and, uh, and things like Total Recall. Um, and one way, you probably should talk a little bit about how I came, well, I walked away from the movie, my thoughts, and, and how they changed as I thought about it as we discussed it. I thought that, that at the end, he was still dreaming. This is a dream world. Um, uh, Maul was right. Um, this is all a dream world. Uh, he needs to wake, wake up from it. Um, but the more we talked about it, the, the more it seems to me that's not the case that, uh, in fact, he is awake because the nature of reality is um, it's not all going to be a happy ending. There is not going to be any utopia, this side of heaven, at least. Um, so, so in the movie, his wife dies in reality. Um, and and that's, that, that, that's the way th that, that's reality. That's the way things are. Things go, people suffer. People obviously die in reality. Now, yes, he is reunited with his children, with his father. He's able to come home to the United States at the end of the film. But his wife is still dead. There is, the, the film does not conclude with this perfectly happy ending where everything is resolved in a way that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, and to that, in, in that sense, I think, um, Inception is truer to reality because reality in the movie, while it is a positive ending, it's still the, the tragic element, the, the, the suffering is still reality. Right. I, I, and I think he, he well, one of the beautiful lines in that regard is in his, in the moment of his forgiveness of himself uh, with Mal, when he's talking with his subconscious projection of, of his, of his deceased wife in the beautiful line where he says, uh, you know, I can never capture you. You're just a, you're just an imperfect image. You know, you're just you're just my own projection of you. I can't make up all of your perfection, all of your imperfection, all of your complexity, the reality of who you were in this real world. Even my dreams of you uh, won't match who you really were. And so I need to leave behind this dream connection as well. I can't be satisfied with this reality I can create in my own mind. And that's what distinguishes him from his wife she she wanted to stay in 
well, what in, in, to some degree, what she saw as the dream world. He he didn't. There's a point in the movie where he refuses to look at his children, because he does not want to allow himself to be sucked into this idea that the dream world he's in is a better reality. He wants to return to real reality uh, with all its flaws, with all its imperfections, with the fact that she is not alive. So he refuses to look at his children. He refuses to allow himself. Uh, to be sucked in and, and to be content to stay in this artificial construct. You know, one thing that you and I had talked about was um, there's this one point in the movie where where uh, one of the characters um, creates um, a virtual character within the dream world that's very stunning, attractive, beautiful woman, and that you, you and I both remarked that she looked artificial, that the way that they portrayed her cinematographically, to mangle a word, um, she looked fake. She's supposed to be perfect, but but in our virtue, we cannot create perfection. And so, even though in a sense she was perfect superficially, when you when you look more closely at her, she looks fake. Very much so. And I think uh, it was it was interesting touch. And I think uh, I'm not sure that's supposed to be curious. Well, no, I'm, I'm guessing no one was very deliberate in that sense that she was supposed to be artificial in. Eames, I think the character's name, uh, and his portrayal of that, and 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 the other so many other ways where they show the virtual reality is not to be preferred. Um, um, Cobb and Malls had created this world where they, in, in their dream world, they were there for decades. They grew up together. They created everything they wanted to, but they were alone in it. And they were imprisoned within it. The only way to escape from that virtual reality was to die, uh, which I think to me is, 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 is a, a commentary on when we try to create utopia. Um, we will be imprisoned within our own creation, within, in this case, within our minds. But even in reality, when we try to construct utopia, the only escape, in a sense, is death. Well, and I think also... Uh even going a little deeper on that, that as we strive to create these virtual realities, these false realities, and have them be satisfying, have them be life-giving, what we find, what I find pastorally as a priest, especially on a college campus where there's a lot of virtual reality in that sense and the different things that people do, is that it's ultimately unsatisfying, that aloneness, because you, you, you're around more, mostly with what you create. And you're not even around other real people in that way. You're around projections of real people, their own projections of themselves maybe, but still a projection, still a portrayal. And the end of the day, that leaves the human heart unsatisfied. It leaves the human heart wanting more, desiring for that more. And I think it's ultimately that human impulse within the character of Cobb that leads him to that sort of rejection. And going back to our beginning, that is what makes this good art. That's what makes this worthy art for a Catholic to uh, to spend some time looking at if they're so disposed yeah, yeah, absolutely the, the, that that we are we're drawn to um, the mystery of reality yes we we cannot fully comprehend we we can we, we always talk about in in, in uh, theology about how God is as a mystery that we can never fully comprehend but we can fully comprehend creation. Ourselves, for instance, uh, God knows us better than we know ourselves. We will, we, we continually discover more and more about who we are and about creation all around us. And and, and that's, the, I think that, that is definitely a, a motif of this film that Cobb 
rejects the the idea of staying within a false reality that he can perhaps perfectly comprehend and wants to return to real reality, where, which is in the end not completely comprehensible. Um, what we cannot fully comprehend it, but but that's human. That's what we're drawn to. Well, I, I think as from that Catholic point of view, then must might be. And I don't think I'm doing ISIS. I don't think I'm reading into the movie. But I think what we could extrapolate from the movie then is, in the Catholic view, that the more we enter into reality, the more we enter into the world around us, the easier it is, in that one sense, to begin to encounter God in that sense, in right. that natural world. Now, that won't necessarily lead us to the full divine revelation of Jesus Christ and uh, the fullness of his truth, but it's going to lead us all the more and more to the reality of God, and we'll actually find ourselves in a happier uh, life the more that we seek after that reality. Absolutely, because we're more and more fulfilled. This is what we're created for. Uh, and related to that, along the lines of the distinction, maybe a final point, um, one of the, the central ideas, you talk about what Inception is in the movie, the idea of planting an, an idea, and 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 uh, Cobb talks about how an idea is the most powerful thing, it's a, like a virus, it grows on its own, it can come to define uh, the, the, the person that it takes root within. Um, and what we talked about, is that's another distinction between virtual reality and... Um, real reality, for, again, a lack of a better term, uh, the, the, the reality that ideas do have consequences, that ideas play themselves out in reality. In virtual worlds, they don't. You know, we can do whatever, as you said, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not reality. Um, our actions and our ideas have consequences, sometimes the repercussions decades long, centuries long, in fact. Very much so. And that's, uh, and again, as we enter more and more into that virtual reality world where there's reset, right, where there's creating a new character, uh, where there's cheat codes even, uh, that we, we lose sight of the fact of how our own thoughts, even our own self-generated thoughts, truly self-generated thoughts, have that impact that might last a long, long time and have good or bad repercussions. And so it's important to be thoughtful about reality. It's, it's not just something for the nerds like, like uh, I or yourself. Uh, it's something uh, that everyone needs to do. Maybe going back to the, uh, I believe it's, could be wrong in this, but it's an adage of uh, Aristotle that the unexamined life is not worth living. Right, right. Um, or Socrates, as Bill and Ted refer to him, I think is maybe the, um, Socrates uh, was the one who coined that in particular. Yeah, that, that, my, my image along those ideas, we don't want to be like the pinball. That's just bounced and bounced, bounced around from stimuli to stimuli. We want to be rooted. Um, we want to put roots down in reality, in the way things really are. And, and, and I love the idea that in Inception, this idea um, that an idea can come to define us. It has ramifications. It has repercussions. That that that's demonstrated within this film. Very much so. Very much so. So that's I, I think just uh, a, frankly uh, a snippet. Father and I uh, spent much more time talking about the movie, but I think that just gives an idea um, of of the depth of content that and conversation that one can have about uh, this movie Inception, um, a brilliantly conceived, brilliantly constructed uh, film that I, I think 
I'm safe in saying, Father, that we both would heartily recommend people who enjoy more, um, oh, weighty films would enjoy seeing. Very much so. Although, I mean, it's, 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 it's no Mary Poppins. And so if you're looking for something a little more lightful, maybe uh, delightful, maybe your uh, temperament is one more suited to uh, conversational movies, this would not be your movie. Uh, but this is an excellent movie. It is. And yes, and, and we've both very much enjoyed seeing it. So, so there you have it, Father Dickinson's take, my take on the movie Inception. And uh, if you have any questions about what our take, you can feel free to contact me uh, by email, would be the easiest way, uh, for any comments, feedback, criticisms you might have. Uh, my email address is cbergwald, that's C B U R G W A L D, at sfcatholic.org. S is in Sue, F is in Falls, Catholic.org. Uh, Father and I uh, plan to, uh, to tape uh, new episodes of Prayer Room Companion on a weekly basis. So uh, check back us with us next week. And if there's ever a topic that you'd like us as, as we continue on and you, and you get an idea of the sorts of things that we'll be talking about, um, we'd love to get your feedback, any ideas that you as the audience might have for future conversations, future podcasts. Uh, Father, thank you very much. And we will talk again next week. Excellent. Thank you and God bless to all our listeners. Amen. Prayer Room Companion, Father Andrew Dickinson, Dr. Chris Bergwald, God bless you and have an excellent week.